The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is also from Seneca's letter number three on true and false friendship, which we've been uh, discussing for the last couple of days. Uh, we read the entire letter on Tuesday, and then we focused on one excerpt yesterday, and uh, here's another excerpt today. Seneca writes, There is a class of men who communicate to anyone whom they meet matters which should be revealed to friends alone, and unload upon the chance listener whatever irks them. Others, again, fear to confide in their closest intimates, and if it were possible, they would not trust even themselves, burying their secrets deep in their hearts. But we should do neither. It is equally faulty to trust everyone and to trust no one. Yet the former fault is, I should say, the more ingenuous, the later, the latter, the more safe. Okay, so uh, the observation I have today is going to either come across as highly speculative or too obvious to mention. <laughs> Not sure which one. So uh, here it goes. Um, I want to focus on that line about how um he says, others fear to confide in their closest intimates, and if it were possible, they would not trust even themselves, burying their secrets deep in their hearts. So Seneca is drawing a relationship between um uh having trust issues with other people and having trust issues with yourself, so to speak. That um that you know, for some people. I mean, look, there's obviously different kinds of trust issues, right? Sometimes, you know, if people, uh, you know, if you were raised in ways where you couldn't, uh, you know, depend on your parents or whatever, uh, then, you know, then then that could lead to trust issues with other people. But here he's talking about how you don't trust your friend with certain information, certain personal information or worries or concerns because you don't want to acknowledge these things in yourself. And that's why he's saying if you had the ability, you would, or not you, but <laughs> this person, uh, if this person had the ability, they would not even trust themselves and bury the secrets deep in their hearts. So I was thinking about this concept and how it looks like this person has trust issues with human beings, with other human beings, but really, they really are just not willing to look at certain parts of themselves. And I had this... Um, realization, or it's, I didn't just have this realization now, but I, I associate it to a realization that I've had before, which has to do with Judaism's idea of God's omniscience. Okay, now, standard mainstream view in Orthodox Judaism is that God has complete omniscience and knows everything, you know, past, present, and future, even though he's outside of time, um, and, uh, and you know, all the details, everything that we're going to do before we do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, lots of philosophy and stuff written on that, Okay. So uh, I, in my mind, I think there are three frameworks in which we can talk about God's knowledge, okay? The first framework is, uh, for lack of a better term, um, metaphysical, okay? In the sense of what is the nature of God's knowledge and what does it mean for him to know? Uh, obviously, God's knowledge is not at all like our knowledge. And according to the Torah, we can't know anything about God's knowledge uh, intrinsically because, or we can't know anything essentially about God's knowledge because God's knowledge and his essence are are identical and we can't know anything about his essence. And therefore, we can't know anything about his knowledge. You know, so uh, obviously that doesn't stop, you know, uh, our philosophers from writing about it because there are, 
there are, you know, there still is what to learn, but ultimately, ultimately we can't know anything about God's knowledge. So that's, that's the metaphysical framework for thinking about God's knowledge. Okay. Uh, we're not going to talk about that here. Second framework is that God, God's knowledge, uh, in Tanakh at least is a, is meta, a metaphor for God's hashgacha, God's, uh, for divine providence. Um, so we'll call this the providential framework. Okay. Uh, so for example, when it talks about God, you know, it says God knew Abraham. It mean, meant that God, it means that God relates to Abraham and, you know, intervenes in his life and orchestrates the events, uh, that, you know, that befall him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or when we talk about, um, Trying to think of other examples here. I mean, but you know, Ramam writes uh, about this uh, at length uh, in the Mornevuchim. But yeah, God's knowledge, God knowing something, or God being aware of something, is uh, is a metaphor for God's providence. And then God hiding His face, or uh, you know, or ignoring something, um, is uh, is you know, a, a metaphor for God withdrawing His providence. Okay, so that's the providential framework, and we're not going to talk about that. Okay, what I'm interested in. Is um, we say that the Torah, Dibra Torah Kalashan Bani Adam, the Torah speaks in the language of man, which means that the Torah will use um, uh, anthropomorphic um, descriptions of God in order to um, to leave an impression on the human psyche and the human mind. You know, we can't relate to a completely non physical God. Uh, and if we didn't relate to that God in any way, then we wouldn't be able to. Uh, you know, make any progress in developing our relationship with him. So the Torah will speak in, in psychologically charged terms uh, to elicit certain reactions from us. Okay, so let's call that the psychological framework. So what I want to talk about is the psychological framework here. And the question is, what, what effect does the idea of divine omniscience have on, on, on our psyche? Okay, so what I want to claim here is that, um, is that, if if there were no omniscient being then we could we would be mu- we humans would be much more prone to burying secrets deep within ourselves and not facing them because our own thoughts and our own feelings that and, and our own you know past and stuff we it, you know it, it, if we were the only ones who had access to it and we chose to not access it, then we could just kind of pretend it didn't exist. We could go into full denial mode, you know. When I say full denial mode, I mean however however possible that is psychologically. Like you know, you either, you might not be able to fully deny it, but you would you'd be able to try. Okay, but what what the Torah does is it reminds us continually that God knows everything, and that there is a being who knows all of our innermost thoughts and feelings. And what that does is it like takes away that feeling of we can hide. You know, um, and and puts us on the path, or I guess removes us from that path of trying to bury secrets within ourselves because we know that God knows it. You know, and, and I'm thinking, I guess the two things that I'm thinking of here are one is a, a pasuk in Yeshayahu twenty nine thirteen, uh, where the the prophet says, "Woe to those who try to hide in depths to conceal counsel from Hashem, and their deeds are done in darkness, and they say, who sees us and who knows of us.' So in other words. People who think they can hide from God will do things um, because they think no one sees them. Okay, that's a very fairly you know common concept. But what I'm saying is that that if God, if we felt that God didn't know our thoughts, then we could also hide, just like we would hide our actions from other people and think that that the actions are somehow like don't count or are not real. So too, we would be able to hide from our own feelings and thoughts. 
um, and and feel that those things aren't really real. And the notion that God does know these thoughts and feelings means that they are real. And as much as we try to deny them, their reality registers before God, so to speak. So so the, the concept of God's uh, omniscience makes us m less prone to this type of like burying secrets and burying feelings and burying thoughts within ourselves. Another thing I'm thinking of here, I, I think this is probably the more well-known one, is Zichronos, uh, the, the second of the middle brachos of the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, where we begin by saying, uh, you, Hashem, remember the deeds done in the universe, and you recall all the creatures fashioned since early time, since the earliest times. Before you, all hidden things were, are revealed, and the multitude of mysteries since the beginning of creation. For there is no forgetfulness before your throne of honor, and nothing is hidden from before your eyes. You remember all things ever done, and also each creature is not concealed from you. All is revealed and known before you, Hashem, or God, etc., etc. So, on Rosh Hashanah, you know, which is kind of a um, one of the rules is to set us up for the Aseris Yimei Tshuva, you know, what's the first of the Aseris Yimei Tshuva, the 10 days of repentance, then, uh, you know, that is when we can be prone to hiding things from ourselves. And when we remind ourselves that as much as you want to try to hide things from yourself, you can't hide things from God, it, it makes us you know, more willing to face these parts of ourselves that we're trying to conceal. Um, and so again, I, I don't know if that, if this idea is is you know too speculative or if it's too obvious but uh that's what i'm seeing when i think of this uh line in seneca and um and again just to be clear i'm not saying that that the notion of god's om omniscience is only limited to this effect i'm acknowledging there is an idea of god's omniscience as a metaphysical reality and there's an idea of god's omniscience as a metaphor for divine providence and then there is this this Lushem B'nai Adam way of talking about God's omniscience as something that has a psychological impact on us and causes us to live a life that's more conducive to perfecting ourselves as uh, as truth seekers. That is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Link is in the description. Thank you to my listeners for listening and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.